0: Hello and welcome to RD and the In-Betweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development and everything in between. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of RD and the In-Betweens. This will be the ninth now in our series on decolonising research. And for this episode, we're going to hear from University of Exeter PGR Olubisi Obamakin and her presentation, Afropean Theology Utilising Nigerian British Novels and Autoethnography in New Testament Studies.
1: I am to be the first scholar to construct and apply a feminist Nigerian British hermeneutical framework. This hybrid location. Is referred to as living with liminality, and it was coined Afropean by David Byron, who first used the word with regard to the Afro pop band Zap Mama in 1993. Afropeanism is unique in that it moves beyond the parochial West and the rest thinking that has dominated biblical studies for centuries, and it moves towards an unfixed, heterogeneous concept of identity that finally recognizes the long-standing complex and heterogeneous relationship between Africa and Europe. Next slide please. My rationale for choosing to locate myself specifically within the subset of Nigerian Britishness within Afropeanism, it originates from my criticism of Johnny Pitt's seminal book entitled, African Notes from a Black Europe, in which he traveled across Europe in order to capture Black Europe from the streets up. He has been criticized for creating a uniform template in which all Black people in Europe should fit. His methodology, which was an abstract travel narrative across Europe, could also be accused of uncontrollably mimicking neo-colonial dynamic dynamics, thus demonstrating how ingrained colonial thought patterns are within scholarship. I argue that pits could be seen to have constructed another amorphous label in which to place black Europeans that takes insufficient amount of the nuances within hybrid ethnic cultural identities. My thesis therefore contends that one must particularize Afropeanism within an individual's lived experience, specific locations and relevant traditions. As a black Nigerian woman, black British Nigerian woman of Nigerian descent, this formed my rationale for locating my project within the specific context of being a Nigerian British feminist. Rooting my thesis within the specific location allows me to nest my own specific identity and experience under the umbrella term of Afropeanism. Donna Haraway refers to this as situated knowledge. I will therefore henceforth be referring to this lens as a feminist Nigerian British lens. This new lens aims to address the gaps in current feminist, womanist, and post-colonial feminist interpretation, which completely leaves out the experiences of Nigerian British women. Angela Parker's new book, If God Still Breathes, Why Can't I? Highlights the cutting edge voice of womenist scholars in America within the field of biblical studies. But noticeable by their absence is a specific black British or here Nigerian British feminist biblical interpretation. Next slide, please. Within, oh, sorry. Next slide, please. (laughs) How's my project decolonial? Within biblical reception history, Europe and North America have been situated as the center of knowledge production in order to maintain the ideology of superiority and the suppression of the other these anglo and Euro-American interpretive traditions have presented cerebral, historical, critical methods of interpreting scripture as the only standard and academic method of studying scripture, when this is not the case. With regards to Africa, Adrian Hastings states that African songs, musical instruments, languages and dance lie at the very heart of its communal and artistic inheritance. I aim to therefore show this creative aspect of African epistemology by using novels as an important source of anthropology within my thesis and also by incorporating autobiographical criticism. This therefore introduces a much needed rich diversity of Global North and Global South Epistemologies within scholarship. Next slide, please. So my research has three main questions. The first question, please, Lara, is, how can New Testament characters be read and interpreted in new ways through a feminist, Nigerian, British lens? The second question is, what are the unique questions that a feminist Nigerian British African lens will have when approaching the biblical text? And finally, what challenge does this approach pose to a discipline of biblical studies? Next slide, please. In my thesis, I aim to look at six female New Testament biblical characters. The first is the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Then the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair in Luke chapter seven, verse 36 to 50. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter four, verses seven to 42. The Pythian slave girl in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. And finally Herodias' daughter in Mark chapter six, verses 17 to 21. The Nigerian-British hermeneutical lens aims to provide a new way in which to ask questions of these biblical characters that that for the first time reflects the specific concerns, values and interpretive interests of the female Nigerian-British experience. My lens does not provide historically grounded solutions to these questions, rather, it aims to present the new possibilities and maybes within the biblical text that have not been explored before in biblical interpretation. It is to be noted that this new feminist Nigerian British lens is not primarily intended to offer constructive theology or to resource pastors with material with which to preach from the church context. It is specifically intended to be destru- to be not destructive sorry disruptive to the euro north american biblical interpretation domin- domination within the academy next slide please due to the complexity of the nigerian british context this study lends itself to a multidisciplinary methodolo- me- method methodological approach <laughs> that incorporates methods from both the Global North and the Global South. There are therefore five main elements within my African feminist Nigerian-British lens. First, it includes Nigerian-British themes. Secondly, it includes feminist critical readings. Third, it includes creative actualization. Fourth, it includes secular novels. And finally, it draws upon critical autobiography. In this way, it draws upon methods rooted in both Global North and Global South epistemology. It takes a multidisciplinary approach drawing upon literary criticism, feminist studies, gender studies, post-colonial studies, and anthropology. Next slide, please. To ensure that my feminist Nigerian-British lens truly addresses the specific concerns and interpretive interests of female Nigerian British people. It is crucial that the key themes within this unique context are identified. In order to do this, I first studied several novels written by Chimamanda Adichie Ngozi, who originates from a similar hybrid context to to me. So she is an American um, Nigerian novelist. So I used her work in order to create a scaffold of the potential themes that may may be present in Nigerian-British identity. Next slide, please. I then read novels specifically by female Nigerian-British authors, such as Bernadine Evaristo in her book, Girl, Woman, Other, and Emma Dabiri in her book, Don't Touch My Hair. I also drew upon my own experiences of being a Nigerian British woman in order to help choose the themes that I felt most reflected the specific concerns, values and interpretive interests of Nigerian British women. From my research, I found that there were there were four main themes that emerged from these novels. The first, mother and daughter intergenerational relationships second afro hair, third marriage and relationships and fourth retrieving a lost Nigerian epistemology. In order to stimulate and inform a fresh engagement with the biblical characters I will be using the themes within these novels. The rationale for using novels, secular novels, to illuminate themes within the biblical text, originates from the 1870s, in which fictional novels began to acquire the respect once only accorded exclusively the biblical narrative. Previous scholars, such as Northrop, have since used secular novels alongside the biblical text in order to illuminate mythological structures within the scripture. Scholars such as Alison Longfellow have also re- reimagined scriptural themes using sec- secular novels. In her book, Bible in Bedlam, Louise Lawrence also used novels written by the author Betty Head to elucidate new lines of inquiry within the Pythian slave girl in Acts chapter 2. Oh, next slide, please. What's on the next slide? Okay, sorry, previous slide. <laughs> Um, My thesis uses novels in a similar way to Lawrence by using secular novels written by Nigerian feminist authors in order to illuminate the themes within Afropeanism. Although these authors do not have an explicit interest in biblical interpretation and do not identify themselves explicitly as Afropean, my rationale for choosing them to embody the Afropean theme is because they're written by Nigerian British women. As such, their work offers a new way into New Testament biblical study that moves beyond the binary ethnic categories within feminist post scholarship and develops a more hybrid intertextual approach. These novels will be used to stimulate creative imagination about the possibilities within the story by using the characters within them as analogies for the biblical characters. I will now explore each theme and outline how we use it to illuminate new questions of the biblical character. Next slide, please. So, the social location of Afropeelism brings a unique complexity to intergenerational family relationships, specifically with regards to mothers and daughters. The implications of occupying a hybrid racial identity are multi-generational, as each generation moves beyond a national identity towards an unfixed, heterogeneous concept of identity. This theme aims to specifically explore the theme of mother and daughter relationships. And in order to do so, I have used Bernadine Evaristo's Girl, Woman, Other. As an author, Everisto strives to explore the hidden narratives of the African diaspora, diaspora, to play with ideas, conjure up original and innovative fiction and forms, and to subvert expectations and assumptions. Her novel, Girl, Woman, Other, especially aims to disrupt flat and parochial assumptions regarding black female characters in the UK, in order to convey the diverse ways that characters respond to their context. The, intergener- the intergenerational relationship between mothers and daughters is a central theme within, within this novel, exemplified by the generational element within the novel Girl, Woman, Other. This theme is going to help me re- reimagine the night woman, and it does so by making me aware of issues such as race and ethnicity and intergenerational patterns. Next slide, please. Don't Touch My Hair, written by Emma Dabiri, is an iconic piece of literature, which is half autobiography and half black cultural history, and it has captured the attention of scholars. Within it, Sabiri represents her own autobiographical experience of having Afro hair, of having her hair policed and denigrated as a child brought up in, in Ireland. It also explores the cultural and colonial history behind the defamation of Afro hair that spans right from the Afro t- from, from ancient times, right up until social media in modern times. In this book, very aimed to uncover the racist underpinnings of the categorization of Afro-hair in the UK. Hair is a central theme within Afropianism. This theme of hair will be used to explore the assumptions that previous scholarship has made with regards to the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair in Luke chapter 7. It aims to bring out new questions and new possibilities that no one has ever thought before. Did this woman have normative hair in her context? Did she have straight and European hair? Was she perceived as other because of her hair? What what prejudices could she have faced on account of her hair? How could these insights offer a new reading of the women who washed Jesus' feet with her hair? in Luke chapter seven, verse 36 to 50. We will be revisiting this at the end and you'll be using it as an example of how to apply my new framework. Next slide, please. Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Written by Lizzie Demolona Blackburn opens with Yinka's mother praying for her to be delivered from singledom. And she completely humiliates her in front of her friends and her family. This incident highlights two unique and significant themes within Blackburn's book that could open a whole new door for a new interpretation of the women in Samarads in John chapter four. Nigerian-British women are especially subjected to parental and wider kinship obligations to marry, ideally a Nigerian or a member of the Nigerian diaspora, and they are pressured to reproduce. This phenomenon is endemic within the UK and it is known to result in psychological pressure amongst Nigerian British young women. This insight regarding Blackburn's book creates a whole new and exciting line of inquiry with regards to the Samaritan women. Was she pressured potentially into getting married? Was she a victim of her parents' pressure? These are questions that this book illuminates within the biblical text. Next slide, please. Historic epistemic injustice has deemed all non Western cultures to be inferior and enforced the marginalization of elements of Indigenous epistemic frameworks. Over time, due to a colonial mentality, rooted in the, arrival of Brit- in the arrival of British missionaries to Nigeria in 1842. Yoruba diaspora, like myself, have become increasingly distant from their culture and language. The novel Butterfly Fish, written by irenezen Ekoji, allies with nascent moods within scholarship that have sought to objectively contextualise Indigenous social relations and culture, which in the past has been described as primitive, crude, backward and vain. Okoji, who is a female Black British author born in Benin, uses her novels to successively tilt the worlds of Western reasons and introduce them to new ways of looking at the world based on an African epistemology. Within her narrative, Okoji intentionally shifts between the real and the unreal and explores multiple temporalities in concurrent tracks in order to radically disrupt Western epistemic readings and to affirm that African epistemology is valid. This book seeks to retrieve and affirm a lost Yoruba epistemology that has inspired me to look at the Pythian slave girl in Acts chapter 16 in a different light. It has inspired me actually to think about questions that haven't been asked before of the text. How is money viewed in an African context? These questions have been illuminated by the text, by the, so by the novel and open a new, um, line of inquiry from the biblical text. Next slide please. So this is my supervisor her name is Professor Louise Lawrence and I was chatting about her earlier about the rationale behind um, using novels as um, as tools in, in which to really illuminate things in the biblical text. So in her book Bible in Bedlam she used uh, a book by Bessie Head a question of power, which is kind of like an, a madness narrative, and um, she's an African author, Bessie Head, so Louise, Professor Louise, um, used her work in order to uh, to illuminate a new question of the Pythian slave girl, and um, her work reinspired really inspired me to do the same. Um, next slide, please. Oh, I just lost my place. Yeah. Yes, <clears throat> in my work, I also incorporate my own personal experiences of being a Nigerian British woman. In the last 20 years, the genre of memoir has got undergone a complete shift. This shift has led to the creation of a subgenre called critical autobiography that reflects the classic Classic, sorry, I'll scrap that. <laughs> Critical autobiography is a subgenre of memoir and it does not conform to the traditional definition of nonfiction. This allows room for this ever evolving subgenre of mem- memoir um, that contains attributes that is not normally attributed to nonfiction. It is a trickster methodology that is particularly relevant to liberation oriented African Bible reading. Biblical critical autobiography is successful in liberative readings of biblical characters, as it provides context-specific language that can enrich and complicate older biblical images that have become time-worn, one-dimensional, and dualistic. Due to the effects of, of the global north colonizing Africa, Black people like myself have only encountered representations of themselves as the object of the surveyors gaze, the exotic native other of anthropology. In Southern theory, Ray Wynne Connell highlights that historically, westward expansion for the global north, including silencing the voice of the global south, leading to the global north domination that is currently seen in literature. Autobiography or autoethnography is therefore a powerful methodological tool, especially within African feminism, as it avidly contests essentialism and recognises the plurality of women's lives rather than privilege through theory, one notion of, of a woman. Black women's voices have been doubly oppressed with regards to race and gender due to the intersection of both racial and gender discrimination. Autobiographical criticism, therefore, is a powerful means for previously colonized women to take back control of their voice and assert cultural agency and uncover their original native views. As we said in the quote, my personal experience is a valid source of research. Autobiography enables female researchers of ethnic minority, like myself, to specifically locate themselves within their research and gift their readers with a privileged insight into their worldviews and ontology, which otherwise would be completely unaccessible. It gives an invaluable opportunity for minority researchers to feel empowered to share their stories where before they had been silenced. Next slide, please. In Mujanga's book chapter, Liberating African Theology, he states that it's now, it is, there is now a responsibility for post-colonial scholars to expose the dehumanization of Africans, colonial imperial dispossession, robbery and oppression, all of which are haunting African peoples. And to ensure that African cultures and epistemologies are revived and recentered. In his article, What is African Biblical Hermeneutics? Adamo desires scholars of African descent to be liberated from internalized colonized consciousness, in which they adopt the colonizer's epistemology in conducting biblical studies. He empowers them to instead use their genius to redefine their own particular hermeneutics. Contrary to global north epistemology, the African worldview can be described as mythopoetic, placing a a heavy emphasis on symbols, myths, and stories. Global south epistemology places a heavy emphasis on orality and memoirs, This is shown in the many works of memoirs by black female authors such as A Woman Alone by Betty Head or Unbowed. (coughs) Women have been told in the past that their experiences cannot be considered universal but only particular and trivial. By using autobiography It gives women like myself a voice within scholarship where previously we have been silenced. Next slide, please. Finally, I use creative actualization to create a new interpretation. Creative actualization allows women to enter the biblical story with the help of historical imagination, artistic recreation and creativity. It gives the biblical interpreter creative license with which to create new possibilities to the assumptions that have been made about female New Testament biblical characters in Western paradigms. Although this methodology originated in the global north, women in Africa have always invented creative ways of retelling biblical events in a way that African women specifically can relate to. My feminist Nigerian British reading of biblical characters aims to combine both global north and global south methodologies by using novels written by Nigerian British women in order to stimulate new creative um, possibilities. Okay, next slide, please. Um, we can quickly do this really quite quickly. so. Um, the steps needed to apply my feminist hermeneutical framework to the biblical text. I wanted to make it as simple, as quick as possible, quick and easy as possible. So, the first step um, is to pick an African theme. So, like the ones that I picked that I said at the beginning. So, you would pick one and then you would pick an, a New Testament character that you would like to explore. Second step is to pick a novel. So any Nigerian British novel that you feel could illuminate new questions of the biblical text and of, of the of the biblical character. Step three. So then you would think about your own autobiographical experience of being in that context with um, with, with regards to the theme, whether it be about hair or about marriage. Um, so we're going to see an example of that at, at the end. Step four. So you will apply a feminist critical lens to the biblical text. This means applying what Fiorenza calls a hermeneutics of suspicion with, um, with regard to the biblical text, which means that you would be suspicious of how it's been interpreted and interrogate the text, basically. Um, it would recognise that actually the Bible was written by men, and therefore men would privilege men. And therefore, as a woman now looking at the biblical text, My work aims to put women at the center and and look at their stories. Finally, you would use creative actualization in order to think about the possibilities that that have been ignored or that could have occurred that have been ignored by Western paradigms. Um, Next slide, please. Okay, so today we're gonna just do a really brief example um, of applying this hermeneutical framework to the woman who washed Jesus's feet with her hair in Luke chapter thirty-five to fifty. So throughout the centuries, um, oh, click please, <laughs> thank you. Um, dominant Western interpretations of this woman have hypersexualized her hair in order to portray her as a prostitute who erotically massaged the feet of Jesus. Next slide, please. However, in the West, oh sorry, no, no, (laughs) back please, sorry. Um, Long hair in the West has for centuries been both a gender sign and a sex symbol in our society. Dormant exegesis has therefore ignored alternative possibilities to explain this woman's unbound hair. And for those who don't know the story of this woman in the Bible, so this woman, Is sitting down and she comes um, completely uninvited and lets down her hair and washes her feet, washes washes his feet um, with her hair and anoints it with oil. So, scholars have always interpreted this woman as being some sort of prostitute or as being some sort of erotic woman, because in that context, apparently, um, having long hair was indicative of being a prostitute. But when you interrogate the text further, you realize that actually this assumption is based on Western epistemologies. It's based on a Western context, where, in in the West, long hair has been used as a sex symbol. It may not be that concept in, in, in an African concept. So next slide, please. By using Emma Dabiri's book, Don't Touch My Hair, she introduces the key concept that within African epistemology, hair has power in different ways. Click, please. She goes on to say, to this day, oh, back, <laughs> please. To this day, in African and Afro diasporic cultures, people remain hesitant about their hair falling into a stranger's hands. If someone had access to your hair from a comb, for example, they could do witchcraft or a bayer on you. Click, please. My autobiographical experience of othered hair in a Western context also highlights the fact that hair can be a symbol of displacement and rejection, not just sexuality. This is reflected in the fact that I am often asked, when am I going to do my hair? Alluding to the fact that my hair is bad and needs to be tamed. By juxtaposing, don't touch my hair and my own autobiographical experience alongside the biblical text, it allows me to ask new and exciting questions. What was the potential power of this woman's hair at that time? If we de her hair, what could she have been doing if not erotically massaging the feet of Jesus? My feminist Nigerian-British lens exposes the male-dominated Eurocentric assumptions regarding hair that has informed this dominant interpretation of this woman being a prostitute. And it has highlighted the fact that hair is considered completely differently within a Nigerian-British context. Therefore, within Nigerian-British interpretation, this woman's hair could be a symbol of colonization, otherness and displacement within a context where women's hair had a cultural and religious barriers. Her taking out her hair, therefore, may not be an indication that she was a prostitute, but could be an act of liberation as she conf- refused to conform to the expectations placed upon her. This allies with my experience of having an Afro within a Eurocentric context. Next slide, and then next slide, please. Next, please, we're going to skip this because of time. Um, oh, no, back, 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 please. <clears throat> so, um, oh, back, please, one more. Thank you. In this light, a feminist Nigerian British oh no forward please (laughs) sorry. In light of this, a feminist Nigerian British interpretation of this character ultimately depicts her as the positive heroic female prophetess who vocalised her resistance to the colonialism and patriarchal control of her day through the haptic of her hair. This woman undoing her hair. In public, in order to dry Jesus's feet, was not a sexual thing at all, as Western Western thing Western interpretation has has said. Instead, it could be a prophetic act. She could have been using her hair to symbolically. Um, Yeah, she could have been using her hair to um, embody Christ's function within the end, the end times to wipe every tear from people's eyes. She could have also been touching, touching Jesus' hair t- touching Jesus's feet in order to prophetically prepare Jesus' body for burial. Um, so next slide, Um, So yeah, how how could an African interpretation challenge biblical studies? Firstly, um, it disrupts Euro-North American domination within biblical studies. So it interrogates interpretations that have just been taken as normal and taken as normative. Um, Secondly, it, it exposes the assumptions that have been made about identity and where it lies. So a lot of these interpretations haven't been questioned. And so my interpretation exposes these assumptions that have been made. And finally, it challenges the academy about what constitutes holistic knowledge. So by using autobiography and using novels within biblical texts that hasn't been done before, that kind of challenges Western epistemology by saying, actually, no, you can use novel as a source of data. You can use my own experience as a source of research. It is valid. And actually, the fact that it hasn't been valid up to this point is actually a indication of, of colonialism that needs to be de- decolonised. And we need to make sure that other people have a voice at the table.
0: And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe. And join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development and everything in between. Thank you.